0: Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. My name is Adam Homie. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. Please visit our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com where you'll discover how we help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing and thrive at the intersection of your brilliance and your passion. We have a breadth and depth of topics relevant to business creators just like you. Please be sure to subscribe on your favorite syndication network. We're on just about all of them so that you get fresh content every time we share, including the opportunity to go back, download, and review the great information you're going to hear today. In this installment, and this is one I've been looking forward to to doing for a while, we're going to cover marketing strategies for service-based businesses. I myself have a service-based business. One of my lines of business is service-based. Another is consulting, and I have a couple other things we're in the process of bringing to market. So this is something that's very familiar to me, some of the challenges that go into service-based businesses. And we're going to have the opportunity to flesh out some of those issues, uh, first of all, how we market them, how we sell them, and how we deliver them once we have the clients because that is something that I've seen so many business creators who have service-based businesses struggle with. And some of those struggles, in fact, have been my businesses. And we have an unstoppable individual to help guide us through this today. His name is Steve Gordon. He's the best-selling author and founder of the Unstoppable CEO, and he's the host of the Unstoppable CEO podcast. He's written over 400 articles on marketing for service businesses, and through his firm, he helps service businesses create leverage marketing systems so they can spend less time on business development and more time on what matters most. So what we'd like to do now is kind of hit this off with a bang. Steve Gordon, come on in. The weather's fine.
1: Hey, Adam. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Awesome. And uh, we're so excited to have you here as well. I've been looking forward to having this conversation with you because I think there's a lot that you have to share with us based on your expertise, and your background its really going to be of assistance to us. But here's what's going on right now. We have people who are tuned in live here at the Business Creators Radio Show, and they're leaning in, and they have separate browser tabs open, and they are binging the Googles out of Steve Gordon, Unstoppable CEO. They want to know more about this man and more about what they have in front of them right now. So, Steve, if you would, take us a little bit through your journey and what's brought you to where you are serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion.
1: Oh, wow. Well, I I feel bad for the folks who are pounding Google right now looking for me, because I I have the curse of having a really common name, and there's actually a really famous composer uh, who is deceased, uh, who has my name, and and you'll find him in Google. I'm there too, but you'll find him, and we, we do very different things. So, uh, he may not be able to help you with your business as much from the grade. But, uh, <laughs> I, you, know, um, you know, now I I help businesses with marketing, but I didn't start off that way. Um, I, I started off actually in uh, a small little discipline of engineering called geomatics, which most people have never heard of. But if you've ever used Google Maps or Apple Maps, the people who created that map for you and created that computer system that that delivers that map to you, well, that's what geomatics is, and, and I was fortunate enough to start in that right as all of that technology was sort of coming out in the uh, early 90s, and um, and so I started there. Uh, out of college, I went to work for a, a company that uh, was real small, had about 10 employees when I started, and I didn't know it at the time, but it turns out I, I was the exit plan for the founder, and I'd been there about four years, um, so I was about 28 years old, and he asked me to take over for him as CEO, and then we spent the next eight or ten years in, in a, a transition. And it was just I, I was so blessed to have that opportunity um, at that age to to get to run a company um, and uh, and grow a company that was was doing some some really neat things at the time. And so I had a lot of fun doing that. Uh, one of the things I got to learn was how to sell and how to market because uh, when I came into that firm. There really was no concept of marketing, um, other than what the founder had been able to sort of piece together and and uh, and, and make happen. And uh, there was no structure for selling or any of that. And I didn't know anything about it, coming from a technical background. And so, uh, like a lot of business owners, I uh, I arrived on the job and they said, "Well, you, you you know how to do all the things that you learned at college, but guess what? Now you got to go sell it." And uh, and so it was a bit of an educational process.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the case for a lot of folks. You know, it's funny you mentioned you do have a fairly common name, Steve Gordon, and uh, this is an issue shared by a couple people I know personally. Uh, Jim Palmer, the dream business coach, uh, also known as the oh, yes. newsletter guru, has been one of my clients for about – and you've heard of the guy. Uh, but he, his challenge in breaking out through the search engines, has always been the fact that there is a baseball player uh, who played for the Orioles named Jim Palmer. In fact, uh, he's subject to a series of wisecracks about his baseball career every time he introduces himself. Um, I also know I'm a guy, sure, yeah. good, yep. I also know a good guy, a good friend of mine named David Newman. He's the author of Do It Marketing, and from the very beginning, he's competed with not only the composer David Newman, but another composer named David Newman and an actor named David Newman. And uh, this other guy who's a concert player whose name is also David Newman. So imagine having that name. Now, with my name, uh, it was a huge detriment to me growing up, Uh, not only because it was so unique, but – Also because right around the time I was in middle school, the Wayans Brothers came out with this show called In Living Color, and I got compared to some stupid clown character. I hate the the Wayans Brothers to this day, and maybe I'll just (laughs) continue to mispronounce their name, the Waymans Brothers, just to take it out on them. Goodness gracious. But as an adult, it's been a benefit to me because I can easily create optimization on my own name because as much as I've been able to figure out at least I'm the only person in the entire world who has my name.
1: Well, that's great. People can find you now.
0: Yeah, Yeah, and to think yeah, I own but name. That's changed, really important. But, uh, yeah, yeah I, I, ser- I, I seriously at one point, uh, just because of all the teasing and ribbing, thought about changing uh, back to our original family name, which is Jumay, because my paternal grandfather took on his stepfather's name for whatever reason happening back in 1935. And I also thought about changing my name to Adam Roberts, turning uh my middle name basically into my last name so uh and i realized if i had done either of those things i could have actually uh created somewhat of a detriment to myself because i would not be the only adam jimay and i soon figured that one out already and there's certainly more than one person named adam roberts out there i'm sure yeah so uh just one of those funny little things i'd you know, share with folks, because I imagine there's some other people who listen who have some fairly common names, and they're trying to get optimized on their name. And what's interesting is as we go through what we're doing here today, Steve, I know you're going to reveal at least one great strategy, that as soon as I saw what you are going to share with us, is actually a very powerful way to get search engine recognition on your name, even if you have a common name. So I'm glad we spent a few moments on that. But let's start more generally. Uh, In your experience, Steve, how can one overcome some of the biggest challenges in growing or attracting clients when they're in a service-based business? And let me make that a two-part question. First of all, what do you see as some of the big challenges? And then part two, or what are some of the things we can do to overcome those?
1: Well, you know, there's a long list of challenges, but um, I I really think that, that there are four big ones that if, if businesses would address these four, you'd, you'd almost automatically solve a lot of the other challenges that you run into. Um, right. And, and the, the first one is the one that nobody wants to do. Uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wor- use the N word, and it's niche. Uh-huh. And, you know, we all know this advice. This isn't anything new. But I come across business after business after business that when you ask them what their uh what their ideal client looks like, they'll give you an answer that is some form of, well they have two qualities, a heartbeat and a wallet. You know, and they may gloss over that or paint pretty colors around that, but that's really what they're they're saying is that that, you know, I'm really either so desperate or I haven't done the homework enough or I'm afraid to niche down any further than that, that I will take anybody with money. And while, you know, from a, a revenue standpoint, that might be a, an okay thing to say, from a, a practical and marketing standpoint, unless you have the budget of Coca-Cola for your marketing, it's a pretty unrealistic target market to have. Um, and I you know we see it again and again and again when we'll have a client come in where they haven't really thought through who their ideal client is and we'll take them through an exercise um, we call it the ideal client focus um, and it's it's a series of, of thinking processes that get helps them get narrowed down and then once they get narrowed down it's it's almost like we've you know, we've given sight back to the blind, because when, when they get that focus, they all of a sudden realize there are all of these opportunities around them. There's an abundance of opportunities to connect now with that very focused type of ideal client, and they weren't seeing those opportunities before. They were there, but because they weren't tuned in to that type of, of ideal client, they were missing it, and when you get tuned in like that, you now see these opportunities. You also know how to go and communicate to that type of, of prospect. And they're going to respond to that. It's going to give you a focus that's actually going to speed up your results. And, you know, we, we've seen it again and again and again when we're working with a company. It's, you know, that they're, they're stuck trying to do too many things for too many people. And the minute we give them focus, it's just like, jet fuel to what they're doing. Uh, they just launch off and they're able to make progress a whole lot more easily and more quickly. And so that that's the first big thing to overcome. And for most business owners, that's a mindset issue. Um, and so the way that we uh that we ease people into that is we say, look, I'm not telling you if somebody comes waving money in your face not to take it. If they want to work with you that badly, well, and, and you want to serve them, that's a business decision for you to make. And I'm not going to be critical if you decide, yeah, I'm going to serve them and I'm going to get paid and all of that. So you don't have to worry about turning people away. That's the fear most people have with it. But what we are going to do is for the, the investments that you're going to make in terms of time, energy, and money in, in marketing – we're going to get really focused because we know if we do that, we're going to get you a bigger return on that investment. Um, and so, that's the first, I think, big hurdle to overcome is just making that decision to get focused. Um, it'll dramatically improve your results, and, and it'll do so quickly.
0: Yeah, I think that I think that's very important. Um, and uh, was there anything else, or was that all of them?
1: That's the first. So the, the second okay, so is. Okay, we have three is, more.
0: Three more. Here we go.
1: Yeah, we three more, and, and I think these are important. And, and I would I'd approach them in this order. So the, the second then is to get really focused on demand and creating demand. Um, the, most of the businesses that, that we talk to, when they, you know, they're they're trying to figure out well how do we grow and uh, you know how how do we kind of get into a rhythm where we're bringing on new clients at at a consistent pace. The big problem that they have isn't that they're not doing lots of things to try and get clients. The things that they're doing aren't creating opportunity. They don't have enough opportunities. Um, And so uh, often what we find is that they're just not – they're not focused on creating demand for themselves. They're not doing the, the few activities they need to do that are actually going to lead to, a, a, you know, a sales opportunity. And so that, that would be number two, um, is to get focused on those activities. And we can talk about what some of those activities might look like and, and what they don't look like. Um, the third is, is to really focus all of your marketing on those things that will create relationship. And right now, we're living in a time where there's a, virtually an unlimited number of options to any business in terms of how – they want to get the message out. You know, you've got you've got LinkedIn and probably three to, three or four different ways on LinkedIn that you could get the message out. Facebook, at least three ways, four ways that you could get the message out through Facebook. You have Instagram, Snapchat, WhatsApp, um, you've got your website, email marketing, direct mail. Uh, I mean, we could go on, you know, endless thousands of, of these different methods for you to market. And it's really easy to get distracted by the next guru that comes along and says, well, here's the great method. And um, Adam, I don't know about you, but and, and maybe they'll take my marketer's card for this at, at the union uh, for saying this, but if you ask me about any given method of marketing, I could go and find an example of it working and working phenomenally well for somebody. And, right. And, the thing for people to understand is that it all works, but the difference between seeing somebody who's made a particular marketing method work and you is that they've mastered that. They've focused on that one method and they've mastered it. And so it works for them. And what most businesses do is they will, they'll dabble a little of this and a little of that, a little of the other thing. And they go around sort of creating these thin connections and thin relationships that don't really amount to anything and they they aren't significant enough relationships to support doing business. And I think you're better off focusing on one or two methods that will actually help you create a relationship that's significant enough to support the kind of sale you're trying to make. So if I'm um, – so I, I live in the south and Krispy Kreme is like the best donut place you could ever imagine. And um, if, I'm, if I'm selling Krispy Kreme donuts, I don't need to create a really strong relationship with the buyer, do I? It costs a dollar. It's kind of common knowledge that it's a good thing and that you're going to walk away with a certain type of experience. But if I'm selling the construction of a commercial building that's going to cost $5 million, I need a much deeper and more significant relationship with my buyer. And so you've got to match how you're building your relationship with the thing you're trying to sell. You know, we like to think because there are all these online marketing tools and people talk about these different hacks and everything, that somehow it changes the reality of business, but it really doesn't. We're still trying to build a relationship with another human being and get enough trust um, and get them to like us enough and believe that we can deliver a solution to them uh, enough that that they'll – uh, they'll ultimately buy, and so um, so you need to be thinking about their relationships. And I think most people don't think about that enough, and so they're trying a lot of different things and and, and really finding that they can't get to that that deep relationship that they need uh, using some of these methods. And then the final I, I final big hurdle to get over is follow up. Vast majority of businesses are horrible at follow up, and there's a huge untapped opportunity there. Uh, you don't have to be all that good to be better than everybody else. Uh, and so, giving giving that some focus and some time and some thought about how you're going to follow up and how you're going to show up again and again and again over the course of time, you, you're simply increasing your odds. You mentioned Jim Palmer earlier. I've known Jim for years, and his yeah. his newsletter service is a great example of. A simple way to stay in touch and be in in front of a, a prospect, you know, in his case, on a monthly basis, in the mail, you know, so you're there when they're ready to make a decision. And so I, I think for most businesses, if you looked at those four things and solved those four things, you really wouldn't have to worry about where's the where the next customer's coming from.
0: You know, there's a you you raised four very important points here, and I went I had things occur to me when I heard number one and number three. So let's get number one out of the way, which is niching. And I'll be completely candid. Uh, Niching into a specific market is something that um, for years I've actually been kind of resistant to. Uh, And I had – and part of that reason was because of number four, actually. So there's a little bit of an irony here. Number four, my follow-up has always been very good. So whenever I had an opportunity come – across my desk or there's somebody I wanted to work with, I've had a very good success rate for getting those clients and getting those deals just because my follow-up is so good. So I haven't really had to think about that. But as I expand more into ventures that go beyond my private consulting, like my podcasting agency and some other things I have going on, we're now looking at the niches and how we do things. Uh, my podcasting agency, in demand expert. I'm going to talk out loud about some of my internal planning here for a moment, if you'll let me. And well, I'm the host of the show, so I can do it. All right. So, um, uh,
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, it's, that's that's one of the beauties of having a podcast. I know you and I are going to discuss podcasting in a second. Um, what's great about what's great about that whole thing of podcasting is we'll cover in a second. Is it's the great networking follow up opportunity. But we did a soft launch of my agency a few months ago, and we got a, a class of our, of our charter members, and we went through a three-month program with them. And the biggest learning that I discovered was that the most value that a podcasting agency can bring to somebody, is helping them penetrate a niche. I mean, yeah, part of our mix is always going to be we have relationships with high-volume shows like mine, then we can get them booked very easily where those hosts are so inundated with requests to be on their show, they tend to have a hard time getting back to the stuff that comes off the transom, but because I have the relationship with them, I can get people on their show. So I bring that to the table, number one. Number two, I discovered that a couple of the people in our charter class we're looking to go deep into a particular niche, and because we have the follow-up systems in place to make that happen, we were able to do more for them and are able to do more for them than they possibly could have done for themselves because we have the ability to focus on that, and once you crack a niche, then you have relationships open, and you can keep repeating that and repeating that and repeating that, so when in expert goes into hard launch uh, in the fall here, if people are going to find that we have identified a few very specific niches, and that is where we're going to spend our time attracting clients and where we're going to be opening the doors to get those clients on shows. So that's a lesson I've learned, and I'm very excited to see the results of that. Going along with that, um, I've had uh, folks come to us my firm with specific niches that they wanted to serve, and there's a few that I've actually turned away for the niche reason. Um, In a couple cases, we've had people in the adult entertainment industry who wanted to uh, basically grow their pro-am porn businesses, and I told them that we couldn't serve them, not because I have any problem with adult entertainment. It's a legitimate industry. Uh, People render a service, and people pay for it, and it's legal. It's just a matter that there are agencies out there that are already deeply niched in this, and I would be doing them a disservice by using them as my learning platform, and I'm probably only going to get one or two of them, whereas I could send them someplace where they deal with that specifically, and they'll get better results. Another are people in politics. I have people I can refer them to who can help them run their political campaigns. So when you're looking to get these results, think about the niches not only from The perspective of who you want to serve, but if you're looking to be served, who is positioned to serve you best? So that's a lesson for both sides. And then number three, number three, you mentioned um, pick a few tactics and do them extremely well. I have seen this happen in entrepreneurial coaching programs, where you have somebody who's making that leap from solopreneur to entrepreneur, which is kind of the sweet spot of the Business Creators Radio Show, by the way, and Somebody will go on a coaching call and they'll come off this call. And next thing you know, they've hired two virtual assistants, a copywriter, a webmaster, a social media person, um, somebody to run their ads, somebody to, um, somebody to do cold calling, somebody to do warm calling, somebody to do their LinkedIn, somebody to do their alignable. And they hire 19 people, but they don't actually have a plan for any of this. Oh, and by the way, they're leaping into doing Facebook Lives, YouTube Lives. LinkedIn Lives and Instagram Lives. They're doing four different types of lives all at once. But they haven't really mastered any of this, and they don't really have a program or a strategy for doing it. I'm a latecomer to live streaming, and even so, I only live stream about once a week at this point. I may set that up. I may not. Uh, I found that there are other forms of marketing that I have mastered for myself that worked for me, and I made the conscious decision when I felt it was time for me to do live streaming. I didn't just dive into 25 different things all at once. And I've seen the people who hire 19 different people because they got to be doing all those things. They're not really in business. Oh, and then they'll spend $7,000 on technology they don't even know if they need or not. Whereas if I were coaching that person who's moving from solopreneur to entrepreneur, I would be looking for the intersection of their brilliance and their passion. Do they like being on camera? Yes. Okay. Let's look at a live streaming strategy. This will be a great way to create engagement between you and your followers. Oh, you're camera shy? uh, You have a face for radio? Okay. Let's look at other forms of social media marketing. Let's look at email marketing. Let's look at you being a guest on audio podcasts. See, it doesn't have to be everything. You find one or two that you do really well. You master those. And then if you choose to add others on later – you'll have the benefit of being deeply into something that's working very well for you. And I found that when people take that approach, and this is where I agree with uh, some of the sentiment of what you're saying, you're going to get a lot farther, a lot faster.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. We we look at it as a a layering process. Um, You know, we we certainly will, will recommend to virtually every business that you should probably be doing email marketing because, you know, you get somebody's contact information and they give you permission to follow up and, and you've got an easy way to, to stay in touch and distribute all of whatever else you choose to add to it. But, um, but yeah, absolutely. So case in point, I mean, I, we we eat our own dog food. Um, and, you know, we, we're not doing 50 different types of marketing. Um, I have really for the last, um uh, Five years, but particularly for the last three, been almost fully focused on podcasting. We host a podcast, and I do interviews like this on other podcasts. Um, and interestingly enough, it's a lot of the same skills, right? It's a lot of the same processes either way. So I've been able to, to really hone and master those processes, um, you know, and uh, and that gives me a lot of of leverage. It makes marketing easy, uh, and so there, you know, find that thing. I think you you made a really good point, Adam. That, you know, for the business owners listening to this, find that thing that that you do really well. And and if uh, if you think, well, I'm not a really great writer, I don't know about video. All that stuff sounds complicated. I, I'm going to argue, and we're going to get into podcasts here in a minute. I think, but I'm going to argue that. That a podcast, uh, and we can talk about being on and, and owning yours because I think there there's good reasons to do both. Um, that's one of the most accessible forms of marketing, in my opinion, because you already know how to talk. You know, you're not going to suddenly learn how to or unlearn how to converse. You're not going to show up to a conversation like the one Adam and I are having and be stumped. Um, because it's a natural thing you already know how to do. You've already mastered that skill, and you're just moving it now in, into a, a, a position where it can help you in spreading your ideas and, and marketing your business.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I I agree with that, too. And, you know, uh, when I do, when I'm a guest on podcasts, uh, when I, like, because I know you have a show as well, I've had a chance to check out one or two of your episodes. They're really great. And when I do my Live streams, I'll have an outline in front of me. In fact, people who see my live stream, sometimes I hold up the outline and I say, look, guys, we've got a lot of great stuff here for you today. I'll actually hold up the outline so they can see that I've structured this out. And sometimes I'll have links to refer them to and everything else. There are people out there who can just go on camera and start speaking, and it all comes out perfectly. I'm not one of them. There are people who can get up on stage and, oh, I don't need no PowerPoint. I'll just get up there and talk. Good for you good for you. See, what I've done when I get up on a stage and I speak in front of an audience is I will have a PowerPoint. And I'll explain it up front. I'll say, look, there are a number of messages and a number of things that I need to get to you today. And your comprehension of this material is going to be greatly enhanced when you can both hear me saying it and see it on the screen at the same time. So up front, I say, yeah, I'm going to be going a little bit by a guide here. But the guide is as much for me as it is for you. So that's my, that to me, that's the intersection of my brilliance and passion when it comes to my ability to deliver things. Cause I have a tendency to ramble. Gee, have you figured that out yet? <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, when I go, yeah, when I have some sort of structure to it, something I can refer to, I do extremely well with it. And I think that again, just comes to helping people find What works best for them. So let's get into this podcasting. We're we're both chomping at the bit. The point I wanted to make about podcasting is if your name is Steve Gordon, Jim Palmer, or David Newman, uh, a lot of the other Steve Gordons, Jim Palmers, and David Newmans probably are not doing podcasting. So they're going to get a lot more organic search value by having their names next to their keyworded topics listed not only on everybody else's podcast website with links back to their website, but also iTunes, also Stitcher, also iHeartRadio, also Spotify, also Blog Talk Radio. And that is a very powerful way to get search engine marketing on a common name. But let's turn this now back to you, Steve. And uh, how do you recommend people use podcasting to land massive referrals and get those new clients?
1: Well, so I I think maybe the best place to start is – with dealing with the what I think is the biggest misconception with podcasting. And because it's a, a medium that exists on the Internet, most people will immediately begin to think that, wow, it's on the Internet, so I, my target here is 7.5 billion people, everyone on the planet. If <laughs> I can hit all of them, I'll be a success, right? Yeah. And, you know, it's so it's this big audience myth. And um, I don't know if you've ever uh, heard of Jordan Harbinger. He used to be on the art of charm. Yep. He now has the Jordan Har- oh, Harbinger show. He, yeah. He and I were in a mastermind together uh, for a couple of years. And uh, as I was starting our current podcast, he was just advising everybody in the group, don't start a podcast and all that. So I started asking like, what do you mean you, you've got a super successful podcast? Why are you discouraging people from doing this? And, his point was, it's so difficult to build a super large audience where you're going to make a decent amount of money and make turn it into a real business based on things like sponsorships and um, you know and and uh, and and the things that you're going to sell directly to that audience if you're selling lower ticket products. So that's just a really hard way to go. Um, you know, it took him years to build up a massive audience on his shows, um, and. You know, and that of course fit with my strategy for our podcast as we were launching because I think the real money in podcasting, the way that you use a podcast in a business, is to focus on a very very small audience. And um, and I think if, if you're going to have your own podcast, the that small audience actually consists of the influencers and the potential clients that you're going to invite to be guests on it, and you're going to use the podcast as a way to open those relationships. So you're not opening it as a salesperson who's there to take their money. You're opening it as a, what I I like to call a success journalist, you know? So if you're going to go and interview a potential client, they don't necessarily know that they're a potential client for you, but you're coming in and saying, you know, Mr. CEO, Mr. Business Owner, I'm interviewing all of the most successful business owners in my community your name came up as somebody that I really needed to talk to. And I'd love it if I could sit down with you for 30 minutes or 45 minutes. And, um, you know, and I'd like to highlight your success story to everybody in my network. What do you say? And, you know, we'll be sure you know, we'll be sure to share that with, you know, share it and promote your business and all this stuff. And you'd be surprised how easy it is to get a business person on the phone to talk about themselves, and talk about their business, yeah. yeah, you know? So it's, it's a great way to open a door and that's the audience you got to focus on. If you, if you go into it thinking uh, that I'm, I'm trying to reach the millions, that that's, I think, going to lead you down a path where it's going to be really hard to be successful. Uh, so I, I think that's the first sort of shift in thinking around it. Um, but, you know, I, I deal with companies that, that, and I've been in doing this my entire career, both in that the first company. Um, we were selling something nobody really, nobody woke up in the morning and, and wanted the services that we were offering. They needed it, but they didn't want it. Right. Um, they weren't lining up outside our door like they do at Apple stores on the launch of the next iPhone, right? Uh-huh. And so we had this long and complex sales cycle. We were selling something very expensive and um, and it required a lot of trust. And most of our clients now are in sort of that same boat. You can probably relate with the businesses that you're in. And, you know, when when you're approaching that kind of a sale, the very first thing you've got to do is, is create relationship. And I like to think of that not in terms of a funnel. You I know, mean, a lot of people like to describe marketing and sales in terms of this funnel and you put people in the top and they, you know, in theory they follow this very linear step-by-step path down to the bottom of the funnel yeah some of them fall out along the way but we're going to assume they all move straight down that isn't the way it works in a in a complex sale it you know people move closer to you and further away based on current demands that sometimes they control and sometimes they don't and i like to think of it in terms of these orbits you know, people are orbiting around you, and um, and at each level of that orbit, you've got to create content and information that's going to help them move one rung closer uh, to you. And so, at the at the outer ring, you need to generate new leads, and you need to get in touch with people that with prospects that don't know who you are yet. And one great way to do that is to to get on podcasts hosted by other people and get exposed to their audience. Another great way to do that is to have your own podcast and invite guests to it who have an audience because the most natural thing for them to do is turn around and share that interview with everyone that they know so that all of those people are now also introduced to you. Um, And so if we start from there and we kind of work our way in, then you can – you know, at the next level where somebody's kind of in the consideration phase, they've been introduced to you. If you've gotten your own podcast and you're able to, to, um, share your ideas, what in our business, what we would call your worldview. Every business has a worldview. Otherwise, the entrepreneur wouldn't have started the business. The worldview is, you know, your, your way of doing it. You know, when you wake up in the morning and started your business, you said, I'm going to go do this and I'm going to take this risk because, we can solve this problem for these people better than anyone else. And here's why. And you've got to communicate that to the market because that's what makes you different. That's the reason why someone would buy from you. Right. And so you can use your podcast and you can use your appearances on other people's podcasts to share that message, that worldview. And that's really, really important. You can use that then not just when those things go live, but, You can use that in your email marketing later so someone new comes into your world and maybe after, you know, two or three weeks of hearing from you, they get a link to, you know, an episode where whether you're on someone else's podcast or or it's on your own where you're talking about your worldview and you're educating them and kind of pulling them closer to you. And then if you think about a third level in there, getting ready to buy, they're in that kind of, you know, mode where – Now they know they have a problem, they believe in your worldview, and now they really just need to see some proof that it's going to work for them. It's a great place to insert interviews of your clients who have had great success working with you and let your clients tell the story. And you can come up with these, you know, testimonials are sometimes terrible. You know, you you ask a client for a testimonial. They give you like three sentences back that don't really talk about the transformation. You know, um, but if you invite them to an interview, you can get this long, 30 minute or an hour long inter, uh, interview and case study that has them singing your praises. And they're going to feel really good about it too. They're going it's going to strengthen your relationship with your client at the same time. So. Those are – that's when I start to think about a podcast, I start to think about how can I use it as a way to, to hit all of those different levels of the relationship and the buying process with someone. And, um, and I, I love the fact that you're getting into this and you're going to be getting people booked on, uh, on podcasts because I think that's really important. Uh, I'm, I'm on uh, what we're calling the Unstoppable Podcast Tour right now, and this is one of the stops. I'm doing 52 yeah. podcast interviews in, on other people's podcasts in 52 weeks. Um, yeah. So I think they're hugely important. And, um, and I think they that really complements having your own. And we can talk a little bit about how they work together. But, yeah, no, I think, I think they're hugely uh, – they're a huge asset for any business.
0: Oh, Steve, I'm chomping at the bit here because you brought up a few – things i'm going to be as uh, pithy about this as i can listeners of the business creators radio show have heard me use this phrase a hundred times when i refer to that period in my life where i was trying to decide what i was going to do with my life because I, I decided i didn't really want to be in the business i was in so i basically stopped my proactive marketing but i kept going with my private clients because uh those are large accounts uh i have a lot of fun with them i'm Deeply ingrained with them, we do lots of great stuff together, and I enjoy my time with them. But I didn't know I didn't know where to grow, so I went through a period of exploration in my life trying to figure that out. And throughout all of that, there was one piece of my marketing that remained constant: that is, what you're listening to right now, the Business Creators Radio Show. And through the Business Creators Radio Show, I continued to build relationships, to network, to meet people. And when I, if at any time I ever need a new client. My new client was probably two or three interviews away. First point. Second point is when you are on a podcast, and this is an argument that I that I make. Um, that you know, you may think, oh, I, I want I want to get on, you know, I want to have millions of listeners, and I want to hit the wide market and everything else. My argument is that uh, when you're on somebody's podcast, there is one listener who matters ten times more than any of the others, and in some cases. Maybe the only person who matters, that is your host. Because your host is the only person you know for sure is going to be there for the entire interview. Your host is the only one where you're guaranteed a sidebar conversation in the green room. Your host is the one who decides the extent to which they publicize your show. Because if you do a really bad interview, they may just go through the motions of promoting it. Like they may say, hey, I had Joe Smith on my show. We talked about this. Share it on social media. Okay, I did my part. But if it was a great interview, they're going to put it in their, their Promo Republic rotation or their or their Meet Edgar rotation. They're going to refer back to it over and over again. They're going to blog about it. They're going to post about it 10 times. So you have control there as well. Also, if you're looking to get a client, maybe if you're looking to become a client, maybe if you're looking to fill seats in your event, being a podcast guest is a fantastic way to do it. See, I have this one... Um, this one PR agency that would uh, contact the business creator's radio show looking to get their clients um, booked as guests. And they, and this happened three times in a row. They'd fill out our application like your agent did. And I'd look at it and I said, yeah, I'd like to have them on your show. And the next thing you know, I hear back from the agency and say, well, yeah, so-and-so is interested in being on your show, but uh, their time is limited and they only have time to be on shows that have a wide reach. So, send us your download and listener stats. And I would say, no, I won't do that because if that's their goal for being on my show, then I don't think they're going to get the most out of it. And I have people lined up around the block who are looking to get more out of being on the business creators radio show and vice versa. Uh, We've discussed niches. That is correct. Niches is correct in both directions. Uh, I have a case where one of my long-term clients, uh, and their first year with us was a $30,000 year. Uh, and, they're, and they're now in their fourth year with us. And we just keep growing and growing and growing. One of my top clients. And um, you know how they, came, they found us? They heard me somewhere on a podcast, decided they liked what I had to say, and thought it would be worth a conversation about me possibly joining their team. To this day, they don't know if they were listening to my show. They don't know if they were listening to me on somebody else's show. They don't even remember what I said, just that they liked what I said. That was a $30,000 in the first year client that's in its fourth year. That, that makes not not bad so for it so much. That's what it's all about. I was say, and I want, yeah, not bad. Yeah. Not bad. Yeah. Not bad. And then, I was going to you know, say not bad for an thing.
1: hour's worth of work either.
0: Not at all. And I got one more for you. Testimonials. You mentioned that most uh, client testimonials are crap. So in my book, Groundhog Day is an event, not a business strategy. I actually have a whole section on how to get great testimonials, and it's real simple. So, Steve, let's say I wanted a testimonial from you. You know how I would approach you for that testimonial? I would say, Steve, um, you know, I'm looking to grow this uh, area of my business. Um, I thought we worked well together, and um, I was wondering if uh, you would honor me with a review or a testimonial. Um, I've drafted one for you. If you could please um, reply to me, either telling me this is good to use, or tell me what edits it needs, and uh, we'll use it. All of my testimonials were created that way, and I knew what the testimonial needed to say because somewhere along the line, they said something to me on the telephone or Skype, or they sent me an email, or they wrote something about me on social media, and I turned that into a testimonial. So those testimonials are great, and they serve me the way they need to serve me. The key is, And what makes that type of testimonial a great testimonial is because I got the testimonial that I needed for my business. The same works converse. I have folks that come to me and ask me for testimonials. And when they ask me for the testimonial, the very first thing I'll say is, cool, happy to give you a testimonial. Write it up and send it over for me to look at. And uh, the usual objection I get is, yeah, but we wanted you to say it in your own voice. And I say, look, you want this testimonial because you're growing your business. Because you want people to be inspired by what I have to say so they hire you. What do you need me to say so they'll hire you as, that I'll agree with? Tell me. And if, I, and if it works for me, I'll, I'll sign off on it. And, and pretty much all these cases, the biggest thing that's happened is somebody has asked me to edit one sentence. That's it. And in all the times people have asked me for testimonials, 95% of the cases I tell them to just use it as is. It's, it's not really a rocket scientist type of thing. I have somebody who for now has five years running been asking me for a testimonial, and I've kept saying, write it up and send it to me. And they keep with, uh, but you know, what want you say in your voice? And I say, well, it's been five years. You still don't have my voice, so why don't you write me up that testimonial? Because I'm not going to waste time on this. And here's where I learned this. When I closed down my web development firm in the year 2009, because I was just sick of that, and I, I didn't want to be involved in that anymore, and I had moved into, at the, time, at the time when it was very, very hot, and I did very well with this, website conversion consulting, when that was a really, really big deal. And I asked people for some testimonials, and they all told me about what great landing pages we do. It's like, fuck, I don't need a testimonial about a damn landing page. I want to hear about how that landing page got your opt-ins and how that opt-in turned into a client. Now, because that's what's going to grow my website conversion business. So I learned by doing that if you just trust people to give you testimonials, they're going to give you crappy ones. If you tell them the testimonial you need, you're going to get a great one. Uh, Hidden secret, hidden secret. You buy a book. You see those testimonials on the back cover, or you see that section before the forward that has like the five pages of testimonials. And I've been involved in so many book launches, I know this firsthand. Those testimonials were written by the author of the book, not the people writing their reviews on the book.
1: Yep, in almost every case.
0: Yeah, the person whose name is on the testimonial approved it, and that is available for confirmation in writing, but it's the author that wrote it. Yeah, so just wanted to share that. Um, Here's another thing that comes up, and I know we have about uh, 10 minutes left here, but there's one other point that I really want to hit here, and this is something that's very, very near and dear to our business creators. Why should you increase your fees as a service business? And I'm going to add a second part to it is, how do you go about doing that?
1: Huh. <laughs> those, are, those are two loaded questions. Uh, actually, yeah. the first one's not. The first one's easy, okay? Um, the reason you should increase your fees is because low prices are losing strategy. And it's always, the history in the history of business, as far as I have ever been able to tell, it's always been a losing strategy. So um, the best example of that recently is uh, Sears, uh, Sears and Roebuck. So they started in, uh, in the late 1800s. Um, they had a great innovation that allowed them to deliver a great variety of goods at very low cost, and it was called the mail. Okay. Yes. And, um, Your catalog. and, yeah, the catalog and, and they rode that and then they rode scale and a few other things and that allowed them to create, um, the ability to deliver at a low price and, and be competitive and profitable up to a point. Um, and the point that that stopped was called Walmart. And Walmart came along and ate their lunch because Walmart innovated supply chain beyond what Sears had done, okay? So now they can deliver it, you know, quality at a lower price. Now, Walmart is at risk because, uh, you know, you've got Amazon coming at them, and they're innovating on the delivery side. And and so it's it's very, very difficult. And if we, if we let's take it out of retail for a second, I've never been – around a group of business owners where this conversation didn't come up. They'll start talking about competitors and there'll be so-and-so who's undercutting everybody. There's always so-and-so and and he's always undercutting everybody. Okay? Every business has that. There's always someone who is willing to do it cheaper than you. And so at the end of the day, the, the low price strategy ends up at zero and you cannot win that game. So the people think, well, okay, I won't be the lowest, but I'll be a little bit more than that. The last place you want to be is in the middle, because in the middle, you're not creating enough profit to deliver a unique and uh and desired experience for your client. You you don't just don't have enough profit to do it. And so you're in no man's land where you're not the cheapest and you're not delivering a great experience that justifies paying a higher price than what the cheapest guy is charging, so you're dead. Where you want to be is at the top end, where you're charging premium fees and you're using some of the profit from that to deliver a premium experience, however you define that, however it is important for your market uh, to deliver that. Um, And that is a long-term and sustainable strategy for any size business in any market. It's not necessarily – easy all the time but it, it as far as I can ever tell it's the winning strategy so that's the reason why the how-to is um, a lot of people make it more complicated than it really is how to do it is you just need an eraser and you walk over to your existing price and you erase it and you write in a bigger number it's not that complicated um, we like to make it a lot more complicated than than we um, than we really, you know, should. But uh, the reason we like to make it more complicated is we like to give ourselves excuses. And the best way to get rid of all of those excuses is to create confidence that you can raise it. And the only way I've ever figured out how to do that is to create demand. So if you know that you're sitting across the table from a prospect and you're going to give, you're going to, with a straight face, tell them you're incredibly high price, knowing that their jaw is going to hit the floor and you're just going to sit there and wait for them to pick it back up, you know. and you've already presented them with the case that you're delivering far more value than you're charging, so it's worth it to them. It should be worth it to them to do it. If you can't create enough confidence in knowing that if they say no, there's five people lined up behind them that are ready to say yes, then you're never going to be able to do it. And so the way you actually yeah. raise prices is you build demand for your business, and that will give you the confidence to do it. I've tried to talk entrepreneurs through this and just tell them, well, you just need to raise it, but they tend not to want to do it until there's a line at the door.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you know, and, uh, that, and that's, that's a key thing about raising prices, especially in a commoditized market, is you shift the value proposition that's another thing that I've discovered is uh, show people that the value is different. Like uh, there are maybe, there are lots of podcasting agencies out there right now. I mean, I have one and uh, a lot of the guests on the business careers radio show, including you work with agencies. And uh, I've studied a lot of these agencies. In fact, I'm friends with some of the people who own some of these agencies, you know, full well, that I'm a friendly competitor and we've actually even, you know, talk shop every once in a while. And what comes through all these conversations it's just differentiation and differentiation in niches, which we spent a lot of time on earlier, and just differentiations on how we present the value because different markets will present different values, and, uh, that, and there will be somebody who will appreciate that particular type of value. Just because you offer that type of value and I don't, or I do and you don't, doesn't make either one of our offers better or worse. It's a matter of who we're looking to attract, what niche we're looking to go into, and what we view as our ideal client, what they respond to.
1: Absolutely. Well, and you know, when when I first got into business in the the mid '90s, the the idea that everything was a, a zero sum game in business was still pretty prevalent, particularly with the you know the folks who were older than I was um, had been in business for a little while. Um, I, I see the world very differently. I think things have changed quite dramatically, and there are very few markets where. Um, because you're successful, it necessarily means I'm not going to be. I think we're moving into a time where you're going to have fewer and fewer very, very large businesses, you know, thinking by large meaning like IBM, Ford, you know, GMC, General Motors, all all those businesses of that size are going to have a harder and harder time surviving. And for most of us in business, and particularly all of us with entrepreneurial businesses, there's no way we could handle all the demand that there is for what we do if we're in, right. uh, you know, a typical market. And so you're better off figuring out how do I collaborate with my competitors, how do I understand where they're going, and I'm going to be different. And, um, you know, and, and I, there's plenty of room for that, Um you know, we're, we both do things with podcasts, but we do very different things. You get people booked on other podcasts. We produce podcasts for businesses. And so yeah. there's actually a great opportunity for us to collaborate because we've got podcasts right. and you've got guests, you know. Yeah. We're, we're, we match up. But I've done interviews on other podcasts, and I've had people on my podcast where we do the exact same thing. We are essentially direct competitors. But I know how many clients we can handle. I know how many they can handle, and together we couldn't handle anything close to the whole market.
0: Yeah. You know, I want so to why one, sure we, one final, Yeah, why wouldn't we collaborate? Ahead. We should probably talk about that. Yeah, there's one other thing that just comes to mind here real quick. As um, uh, I said, I used to have a web development firm. I'm not a web designer. The only way I ever made that work is when I had web designers who worked for me, and in most cases they had their own web design firms. So the way we worked it out is that uh you know my firm's rates were basically the same as their rates. So they gave me a bit of a discount so I could realize a profit margin and the way they viewed it as I gave them clients on a silver platter they didn't have to go out and look for. So basically them working with me and them accepting that discount was basically the same as spending a marketing budget. That's that's how it worked that's how it worked out. And uh then I listened to all the advice, you know scale your business, build a team, have project managers and all that. And my biggest gripe was the extent to which I would assign my clients a project manager and they would ignore that person and insist on only working with me. That was Mm -hmm. the irritant that caused me to shut the business down. And I've said this to some of the people that did it to me, actually. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: their feedback across the board was this theme, is that when they look for people to to manage and build their websites, they want to deal with a single individual who they feel is part of their personal team. And a scaled business doesn't do that for them. They like the idea that if they need to have a session with somebody, they're dealing with the, the primary person. So that's why you see that in the web design industry, there are a few large companies and there are firms that do do other types of things, but they will all pay for you. But it really comes down to that. That's the type of business that requires a relationship or to work effectively, because you're dealing with an expression of a human being and a brand ultimately. So you have to you have to have that in, in place. So I decided that's just not a place I wanted to go with that type of thing because it's not something I actually did. The only way I could bring that to the market is if I had other people with me. So it just wasn't feasible for me. It's just that simple. Um, so so the lesson we learned there is that not everything has to be big. And I've seen a lot of, air quotes, small web design firms where the owner is a multimillionaire on off doing 20 websites a year because they're niched into it. They create that sense of a personal connection and being part of somebody's personal team, and they become, an, in fact, an extension of that person's personality or brand. And uh, for anybody who wants to succeed in web design, that's basically the advice I'm going to give them is, Keep it small and get big accounts.
1: Yeah, makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, so we're kind of at the top of the hour here, and I want to give you just um, just a few seconds here. I think you have something for our listeners, so why don't you go ahead and share that with us now?
1: Yeah, so we've uh, we put together a page just for your listeners, Adam, and uh, they can Great. find that at unstoppableceo.net slash B-C-R uh, for business creator radio, B-C-R. And uh, when they go there, they can find a, a link to get a copy of my book called *The Exponential Network Strategy*. That's where we talk about how um, how we use a, a podcast with our clients, um, and how you know, listeners can can use those strategies to connect with influencers, to connect with prospects, and use it as one of their main business development tools. So they can get a free copy of the ebook and the audio book um, and a video version, actually there. Um, Again, that's unstoppableceo.net slash BCR. And if anybody has specific questions, wonders how any of this stuff might apply specifically to their business, there's a link there where they can book a uh, 20-minute call with me as well.
0: Oh, perfect, perfect, absolutely. Let me just say that for listeners again, unstoppableceo.net forward slash BCR. So, Steve Gordon, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and an education.
1: Thanks, Adam. It's been fun.
0: And for everybody listening, this is Adam Homey, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com, and discover how we help you win the game of business and marketing so you thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. So next time, have a great day. Take care.